0: Let's dive in together. We'll read verses eight through twenty-two. Uh, pardon my voice this morning, as I am recovering from being sick this last week, and so you're just gonna have to put up with me uh, having this funky sound. Um, let's just say I'm a jazz singer or something. It'll be, it'll be great. Um, all right, <clears throat> chapter eleven, verse eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and as he went out not knowing where he was going, and he went out not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of the heavens and as many as the innumerable grains of sand By the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them, (coughs) pardon me, and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking out, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named he considered that god was able even to raise from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did not receive he did receive him back by faith isaac invoked future blessing on jacob and esau by faith jacob when dying blessed each of his sons each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. <clears throat> May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, when I was in high school, I used to have to run a great deal. I played basketball. I was a, I was a point guard for my team. In high school, I was going to play in college, and and I know I don't look like I ran a lot, but I did, and I would run a great deal um, because you were required to run, and I would always run like this, and I went running one day with a soccer player who said, why do you keep looking down when you run? And I said, well, I mean, we're just running a straight line, and we're running up these hills and down these other hills, and... I mean, it's just for exercise, so it's not. I don't have to see anything. So I just look down when I run. And he said, "Don't you get tired?" And I said, "Yes, I get exhausted because running is awful. No one likes to run. I don't care who you are. No one enjoys running. That's not true. They enjoy the result of running. They don't love running." So um, he he would tell me that I needed to look up when I ran, and I found that as I looked up and kept my eyes on the horizon line. I could run farther, and I got less tired. Because psychologically, when I looked down, I was focused on each step, each little infantile step. And and so I wasn't just looking ahead. And when I looked ahead, I could see the goal. I could see where I was headed. I could see what was coming next, and I I could enjoy the view of what lay before me. Whereas when I was running like this, I couldn't see anything but the concrete underneath my feet. So I started running with my head up, and I found that I I was able to run a lot further and a lot faster. I got a lot lot healthier. It was a much better run. Um, And that, indeed, is the way that this passage seems to talk about faith. You see, when we read the book of Genesis, one of the things I love about Abraham is when you read the book of Genesis, Abraham is a mess. He's a delightful mess. Um, but he's a mess God calls him to leave uh, Ur of the Chaldees and he just packs up his whole family and goes now just imagine how that works this is not one guy by himself with a knapsack this is the leader of a small clan and he goes alright everybody we're moving be akin to as if you guys came to church and I said okay everybody let's go and I, got, I started walking out the door. I said, come on. And somebody goes, hey, where are we going? That way. Well, where? God said there's a land." Where? That way. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just walking. And he's taking everybody with him. This guy's a mess. And can you imagine some of the conversations with your brothers, because his brothers came too. Can you imagine some of the conversations? Your brother's going, I don't know why we're following you. You didn't even learn to tie your shoes until you were 15. Right? Like, you, you couldn't even dribble a basketball. How are you going to leave the team? You know, just this whole group leaving, leaving all together, and they're walking. They get to where they're going, and he lies about his wife because he's afraid that somebody's going to take her.
1: Oh, she's my
0: sister. It's a half lie because she is related in some sense of the word, very distantly. <laughs> it's still a lie, and yet God protects and defends him. He uh, kind of cowers in the face of the Canaanite people who live there over and over, and he's constantly seems to be a little nervous about them and trying to cut deals with them. And God keeps telling him, just Abraham, just plant your tent, like just work. Just come come here. This is your land. I'm giving it to you. And Abraham has to sit there and kind of obey the Lord in this nervous, anxiety-ridden state his entire life. So when I read about Abraham, I am comforted. I feel good when I read about Abraham. Because Abraham was not perfect. At least you think that he was, reading Hebrews 11. Remember that Hebrews 11 is giving you a 30,000 foot look at Abraham's life. Hebrews 11 is giving us a picture of faith from a distance that sees the results of a lifetime of walking with God. Whereas when you read the book of Genesis, you are given a close up and personal picture of messy people who love the Lord and who try their best but are, but are sanctified not because of what they do, but because of what God does. We're made holy because of what God does. So, let's dive in to this and remember that image of running a race with your eyes on the goal, your eyes on the horizon line, looking at the distance. So Abraham first, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Now let's look at that sentence. He obeyed first, he does obey. This is a beautiful reality for us in that Abraham obeys the call of God not knowing anything about what's gonna happen. Not understanding a single thing about what's gonna happen. He he goes, (coughs) he receives the invitation from God and he goes to follow. As he goes, his father dies, his brother dies on the journey, and he ends up in Canaan. Look at this sentence. It says, he's called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So he's called to go to a place that he doesn't know, that he hasn't seen, that he can't even be certain is there. And it's his. It's a place where he will receive his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That is beautiful and insane. If somebody came to me and said, John, I'm moving. And I said, Where are you moving to? And they said, I'm that direction. And I said, Okay, that's a little weird, but where are you going to go? And he said, We're going to start walking. And then they walk for a couple hundred miles, and they put up a tent, and they, they're on somebody else's property, and they put up a tent, and they go, this is going to be mine. And you go to them, and you go, are you going to buy it? No. It's going to be mine. God's going to give it to me. That guy's got a screw loose, right? If you have a friend, like, let's imagine somebody moves into your front yard and puts up a tent. And says, God told me I get to have this. And then you go, hey, this is mine. And he goes, Ah, not yet. I mean, I don't get it yet, but I'm supposed to be here for it. It's mine. You it's gonna be mine. (coughs) That's the guy you call the cops on, right? Like that's the one you call for harassment purposes, and you're like, hey, this guy's on my property, he's trespassing. And he's going, This is my property. This is insane. So Abraham goes, not knowing where he's going to go. But you see, he was was searching for an unseen kingdom that will exist someday. He was searching for an unseen kingdom that will exist someday. You see, the world will think you're crazy if your choices have to do with eternity. The world is going to think that you're crazy if your choices have to do with eternity. When you make decisions based on a heavenly reality, based on a God who is who has prepared a kingdom for you that is unseen as of yet, when you make your decisions based on that, the world is going to think that you are crazy. Much like the Canaanites thought Abraham was crazy when he showed up in their front yard and said, oh, by the way, this is all mine. God said, I get to have this now. And they said, it's ours. And he said, well, it's not really, I mean, it's, it's not really yours. It's yours for now, but it's really mine. Can you imagine explaining that to somebody? Yeah. You should be able to imagine it. Because when we talk to people, we talk about a kingdom that's in heaven, and they go, "Well, the world is falling apart." You go, "Yep, yep, world's falling apart." And they say, well, "What are we gonna do about it?" And you go, "The world's gonna fall apart, but it's okay. My God's gonna restore everything. And there's gonna be a city that comes down out of the clouds and lands on the earth, and and the heaven and earth are gonna meet, and He's gonna restore everything. He's gonna resurrect life on this earth, and it's gonna be incredible. It's gonna be this amazingly." cosmic thing. And by the way, I'm going to own that part of the earth that God's going to give me give me uh, rulership and authority over. It. And you could be a part of that as well. Uh, receiving the inheritance of Jesus Christ uh, on this earth and you, you will be a part of the kingdom of God. <laughs> We're crazy. But it's true. We look forward to this kingdom that's coming that's, It's going to come down, and and everything's going to be set right. So everything in this world looks like it's falling apart, and we're going, yay! Don't worry, he's going to resurrect everything and save the world, and everything's going to be changed and bettered and set right. And he is coming. You see, when we make our decisions based on that, the world is going to think you're crazy, and it's supposed to. You're supposed to look crazy. Because what you believe in is true, and they can't see it. Now verse 9, Abraham by faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham by faith went to live in a land of promise, So he uproots his family and he moves to a land and he lives in his place as a foreigner. He does not belong here. He does not belong among the Canaanites. He lives in, in the land that is going to be his as a foreigner. It is not yet his and he's looking forward to the day when it becomes his. He's got his eyes on the horizon the whole time. So he lives here. One of the most uh, interesting phrases I ever read in a book was that we are resident aliens. Resident aliens. Meaning we have a home that we live in here on this earth but we do not belong here. Listen, you, you don't belong on the earth. You, you wonder why Christian. You wonder why it feels awkward when you try to shoehorn your life into the way the world works. When you try to find uh, happiness and peace in the things that the world does. You wonder why that troubles you. This is why. You, You don't belong here. You belong with Jesus in a heavenly home that we long for, that we look out for, that we, we, we see coming on the horizon, and we make our decisions based on that. We deny ourselves sinful pleasures and passions because we know that when we get there, we will have rewards. We delight ourselves in things that the world does not like. We deny ourselves selfish ambition and selfish reward because we know that there's a kingdom coming in which we look forward to where we will live for eternity in joy and there is an effect that our life here plays on the rewards we have there. Now I know that we're an American Baptist church, and, and uh, that means that everybody just got uncomfortable because they started talking about rewards in heaven. Um, listen, it's in the Bible. It's, it's there. It says, store up for yourself rewards in heaven where moth nor rust destroy. Jesus wouldn't tell you to store them up if they weren't there. So they're there. They're there. Um, just move past that urge to go. Well you can't that's not just push that aside for a second and realize that there is a kingdom coming in which you are able to invest now. You are able to invest in this kingdom now. See, Abraham uprooted his family and he lived as a foreigner for years in the land, and then he looked forward to owning the land he lived in, but had not yet been given possession of. In the same way, Christian, we look forward to living in a kingdom that we live in now that we have not been given full possession of yet. It's weird and it's true. And it's great. And it definitely makes you look crazy. But it's true. So one of the things I would want to encourage you, just as a side note. One of the things that I would encourage you to do is is go to the scripture and read every place that you can find where it talks about heaven and just read them. Don't don't mess around with them. Don't try to interpret them. Just read them and enjoy them. Read the prophets when they encounter when they encountered God in those visions where they're in the throne room of God. Read the book of Revelation. Uh, read the entire thing. Just go ahead and read through it and read through when Jesus talks about the heavenly kingdom. Uh, read through those things and just delight in the fact that that's where you're going if you have believed in Jesus Christ and trusted in him as Savior that's where you're going then verse 10 here he says for Abraham for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God the evidence that this is talking there's, there's evidence here that this is talking about either a kingdom on earth. Abraham was either looking forward to a kingdom on earth, a city whose builder and architect who builds the foundations is God, or he's talking about Abraham looking towards heaven. So we have an either or here, interpretively, that we can think of. Was Abraham looking forward to an earthly kingdom? Or... Was he looking forward to a heavenly kingdom when all is set right? I think you get some glimpses to this in Abraham's life. I think you get some glimpses to this in Abraham's life, and I think, I think that you could, <coughs> you could say very simply, yes, either or. Is he looking for an earthly kingdom that God's going to build on the earth, or is he looking for a heavenly kingdom? I think very easily you could say yes. He's looking for, yes, an earthly kingdom. Yeah, yeah. he's looking for an earthly kingdom that God will build on the earth that will be God's house. And yes, he's looking for a heavenly kingdom because that's what the Bible spells out. A kingdom that's heavenly that comes down to earth. So, We live in this world where everything is messed up all the time. Our leaders are ridiculous. Our uh, families are shattered. Our people are broken. Our neighbors are wicked. We ourselves see ourselves in the mirror and we know that things are wrong. We are looking for these things. We see the world fractured around us and the hope of heaven is real and yes it comes to earth I read the end of the book cheated read the last chapters God wins the earth is redeemed and there's a kingdom on the ground not floating in a sky, some ethereal place where we're all going to give harps. You know, that's what I used to think heaven was. I used to think heaven was this place where you'd sit and you'd be given a harp and you'd sit on a cloud. You'd be taught the perfect, perfect worship song. You'd sing it for 500 years and then be done, right? That's an awful picture of heaven. Heaven is a place created by an infinitely creative God who continues to create. In the Bible it says... Behold, I am making all things new. And he says in this phrase, It is born. We translated it is finished. At the end there, in Revelation 21. Awful translation. The purpose of that verse is not that it's finished, but that he's just getting started. The end of the book ends... The end of the Bible ends and says, basically, this was the introduction. That's what it says. Behold, it is born. I am making all things new. God is constantly making all things new. Can you wrap your mind around the idea of an infinitely creative God continuing to create? And you getting to be around to watch it, explore it, learn more about it, Star Trek's got nothing on this. (laughs) Nothing. I mean, it's, it's a clever idea, the idea that you can explore space and it continues to go on and expand for eternity. Imagine exploring the earth expanding for eternity and exploring space beyond, life beyond, with an infinitely creative God who's going to continuously making all things new. That's insane. And that's what we look forward to. Oh, that's what we look forward to. A city that God builds by His hands. Remember, remember to look at the horizon as you walk this life. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power <coughs> to conceive. Even when she was past the age, she, since she considered Him faithful, who had promised. <laughs> that's my favorite example. Because Have you ever read the story? God comes to Abraham and tells him, hey, you're going to have a kid, and Sarah's in the tent and hears it and laughs scornfully. <laughs> that's, that's, the, uh, that's the Hebrew. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't go tell somebody that's the Hebrew. It's not good. He, she laughs at him and God says, Why'd you laugh? And she says, I didn't laugh. And he says, you laughed. She says, I didn't laugh. And that's the end of their conversation. That's it. It's one of my favorite conversations in the Bible. There's no redeeming, redeeming moment in Sarah's discussion with God. It's just she laughs and then she laughs about it. And God just moves on. He's like, all right, fine. I don't care. And he goes on. And see, the idea that Sarah somehow was this hero, of faith, this pinnacle of virtue is just goofy. She's normal. <coughs> God tells her that she's going to have a kid and she doesn't believe it. She she struggles with it. So much so does she not believe it that she tells Abraham, hey, maybe you should sleep with my servant and that's how I'm going to get a kid. Maybe that's what God meant. And I mean, I don't know if you've read the Bible, but that goes really bad. Don't do that. If you're curious about having kids, don't sleep with a surrogate. Don't. It's a bad idea. So um, she ends up having a son, her only son, the son whom Abraham loved. And there, in verse 12, it goes on. Therefore, from one man, Abraham, him as good as dead. I love how the Bible is very, very kind um, to Sarah there, even when she was past the age. Doesn't, it doesn't mention her, her actual age. It's very nice. You don't, don't mention an elderly woman's actual age if she's trying to have a kid. But you know, you, just, you just, that that'll, you know. How old is Sarah? She's from Abraham. Somewhere around 100. Um, so they're very nice. And then for Abraham, therefore from one man, him as good as dead. I love that. He's as good as dead. Um, we're born descendants as many as the stars of the heavens. As many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashores. Now just think about Abraham's life here. Abraham has this son, one son. He has one son, and well he has two, but Ishmael is not the one of promise. So he has one son and he um, he raises that one son with the confidence that God is going to give him as many as the stars in the sky. Yeah, one son. And you trust God to give you as many as the stars in the sky. One, he doesn't have any more kids. That is somebody who's looking at the horizon. That is a man who's going, I may not see it with my own eyes, but I know it's there. That's a guy who's looking for the kingdom all his decisions are based on this idea that he's going to have as many offspring as the stars in the heavens that's the kind of faith that we need now jump down to verse 17 we're going to come back to that interlude there in 13 through 15 uh, 13 through 16 in a minute by faith abraham when he was tested offered up isaac if you've never read this story it's the first mention of several key words in the Bible. It's the first mention of the word love. It's the first mention of the word worship. It's the first mention of the word sacrifice. One of my favorite things to point out to young people is that um, this first mention of the word worship is in light of sacrifice. So when you come to worship, it ought to be a bit of a sacrifice. You ought to be sacrificing to do it, it ought to be surrendering something. So worship requires sacrifice. You can't worship without sacrifice. They're intertwined. They're both mentioned together in Scripture for the first time in Genesis 22. So we see here that we have this, <coughs> this offered here. Um, he offers up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his own son his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named so he gets the promise of God he takes his son up to a mountain bear in mind his son is a teenager not a little kid his son's older he's strapping he's able to carry wood he's strong and he carries he walks with him up the mountain has him laid down. He's ready to sacrifice him. He raises the knife. And you, you all have read the story, I assume. That he raises the knife. He's ready to plunge it into his son. And God says, stop! And he goes, huh? I imagine him just frozen, tears. Isaac's freaking out. <laughs> Abraham waits and God shows him that there's a ram in the thicket. Over there, Abraham, don't sacrifice your own son, your only son whom you love. You have proven your faith. And Abraham takes the ram out of the thicket, sacrifices the ram, the choice ram, the head ram of the flock, if you want to go into all the Hebrew stuff. There's a lot of cool Hebrew things going there. And then Abraham says, Behold, you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides for me. And Abraham worships God there on the mountain of bitterness. Then he comes down. And it's this beautiful picture of when God would bring Jesus up to the cross and kill him on our behalf. That Jesus would be sacrificed on our behalf and this time (coughs) the knife would not be stayed. But it would plunge into the heart of our Lord and he would, by his blood and body, rescue us from sin and death. And Abraham looked forward to that kingdom. But the proof of his looking forward was played out in the way he lived. So that first set there in verses 8 through 12, we saw that he has faith. And that faith is based on a kingdom he looks forward to. In this second set we see here in verses 17 through 22, that that faith is lived out on this earth. Verse 19, he says, He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham believed God, and he lived in such a way that that belief was played out in his life. So let me ask you, Christian, is your faith that there are better things ahead played out in the way that you live now? It's a hard question to answer because most of us are just worried about surviving. But is your faith that there are better things ahead, that Jesus Christ has a kingdom for you in heaven, that there's eternal rewards awaiting you there, is that played out in your life now? It's not a question that someone else can answer for you. It's only a question that you can answer, but go ahead and examine yourself and see. Are you metaphorically sacrificing that which you love to the kingdom of God, trusting that he will do what is good? Verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked a future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. These next three illustrations are men who in their life play out their faith. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, if you believe that he has rescued you from sin and has changed your life, you ought to look like it. If you believe that there's a heavenly kingdom coming and that you have invested your life In that kingdom and that kingdom is where your joy is found then it ought to play out on this earth right so the introspective question for the day is does it Joseph there at the end of his life is so consumed with the idea of this kingdom of God that he insists I will not remain in Egypt You will take my bones with you when when you leave this place. And they will be taken to the kingdom of God. So uh, advanced was his desire to be in the kingdom of God that he made plans to literally be moved from from Egypt in the Exodus to Israel. Now I know it would be a little weird if you were like, please put my body in a box and uh, set it aside. And then when the kingdom of God comes, I want you to dig it up and take it over to the kingdom of God and set it I know that would be a little weird. Metaphorically speaking, that's what we do. It's part of the reason as Christians that we typically bury in coffins and we wait for the kingdom of God and the resurrection of the dead. That's part of the reason. Finally, I want to look at these top verses there in verse, the middle, this middle section here in verses 13 through 16. These, Abraham and his family, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So, first, they did not yet receive these promises. They knew they were coming. They looked at the horizon. They knew the kingdom of God was coming. They knew everything would be set right. And they lived that way, even though they had not yet received it. They lived as strangers and exiles on the earth. Listen, Christian, you ought to look weird. You ought to look strange. You ought to look different. It's okay if when you're in political discourse with somebody for them to go the stuff you say doesn't make any sense it shouldn't it shouldn't it's okay if when you're talking about retirement plans and talking about what you do with your money if people go why don't you just buy all that stuff for yourself and live a happy life well because you ought to look a little weird and people ought to look at you funny when you say things like you know i'm trying to Uh, exchange earthly goods for eternal rewards it should look different you should look different than the world verse 14 for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland the next question we need to ask ourselves is does our speech reflect what we believe does our speech reflect what we believe it should Yes, it should. So, do our actions make us look crazy? It should. Does our speech make us sound crazy? It should. Remember, if we're carrying the analogy of Abraham out as our forefather in the faith, that means that we ought to be the type of people who move into somebody else's front yard and go, Hey, God's going to give this to me. Which is just awkward. We ought to be the same people who go, it's okay that the world is falling apart. My Lord is coming back and he's going to fix everything. And everything's going to be changed. Our words and our actions ought to live up to what we believe. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. These are people who by faith look forward to a kingdom that is better than earth. I have uh, on one of my notebooks that I look at pretty frequently, I have this phrase at the top, heaven is better. Heaven is better. And whenever I lay down my, uh, it's in a prayer journal, and whenever I lay down my my prayer journal, uh, whenever I set it out to pray over you guys, that's at the top. Heaven is better. Because the image that we must keep in our mind is the horizon line of heaven. If we spend all of our time running with our heads down, we won't see the glory, the beauty, and the amazing nature of God. But if we run with our eyes fixed on eternity, recognizing that it's coming, and seeing all that we can, of what he has done and what he's doing and what he's going to do, then, oh, this life will be beautiful a beautiful pre- prelude to what he has in store for you in the future. God is not ashamed to be called that type of person's God, for he has prepared for them a city. I love that. By faith they did all these things and God is not ashamed to be called their God because they are looking towards what he has made. Let's pray together and be reminded of why we have access to this great God.